James. And I'm Ria. And this is Ether and Ico, a podcast about the stories behind stories in folklore, fairy tales, mythology, and the gothic. This week, we're talking about Snow White. We are. So last time we talked about literary fairy tales, and now we're going to talk about one of the oldest folkloric fairy tales, Snow White. Yeah. Obviously, the most famous version of Snow White, which you may have guessed from the fact that we're referring to it as Snow White, is the Grimm's version of Snow White, Schneewittchen. And that's the Arne Thompson Uther classification for it, which we talked about last time. The ATU number for this one is 709, and it is just called Snow White. Obviously, there are versions of this story that well predate the Grimm's. Yeah by various other names but we we could call it one of those names but no one would know what we're talking about Mm -hmm. so that's why we call it snow white in case you have not read the Grimm's version we're gonna go through it because you know if you're only familiar with the disney one it's not the same thing no (laughs) it is it is based on it and broad strokes it is the same story but i mean but that's kind of the point of fairy tales is broad strokes it's well the yes same story. <laughs> yeah as the grims have written down the story various versions here's how it starts we have a queen sitting in an ebony window with like a little frame around it and she's sitting there sewing it's the middle of winter and she looks outside and while she's looking outside and not looking at the sewing she's doing she stabs her finger with the sewing needle because that's what happens and then just the whole tableau hits her with the black window frame and the white snow and the red blood. She's like, oh, I wish I had a child that perfectly encapsulated this color palette, which is an extremely normal thing to think. And that's just what she got. So, you know, good for her. Here is where, um, so the Grimm's changed a lot of biological mothers in the folk tales that they collected into stepmothers. The book that the Grimm's put out, Kinder und Hausmärchen, has had many, many editions, obviously, but even within their lifetime, it had several editions. It was first published in 1812, and in the 1812 one, there was still no stepmother in Snow White. Mm -hmm. It was just the biological mother was the only mother in this story. But by the 1819 edition, we have the birth mother at this point dying, and then stepmother comes in but in 1812 it was just biological mother gives birth to snow white and we just continue on from there so we're just going to pick up with usually when people talk about like why the grimms did this they say it's because the the grimms wanted to preserve the sanctity of the figure of a mother which is true and untrue Mm -hmm. i mean it's not untrue it's just more nuanced than that Mm -hmm specifically what the Grimm's were trying to do, and I do think it's important that we recognize that, is that they were putting together a book to preserve German stories and German culture. Around the same time, there was a big push in other countries to like have their own kind of resource, like cultural resources mm-hmm. put together, kind of in the same way that the Grimm's were putting together folklore. And so everyone was just kind of like, God, I hate to say it, but like going more insular, like trying to be less international. And so they were trying to codify what the German collection of these stories looked like, both as a way to like say this is what we are, but also to say this is what we should be. So it wasn't necessarily that the Grimm's thought, 
all mothers are perfect and wonderful and we should love and respect them all. They were specifically saying that the German mother, as opposed to the mothers of any other country, are great and virtuous and worthy of respect and love. And that's why you have the earlier editions that still have the biological mother mm -hmm. is because they weren't super... Like it's not that a mother can never be hostile or anything towards their child, but it sort of goes against the... Uh, it goes against the more the what like... what we should be aiming for thing. Right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so, like, the more they thought about it mm -hmm. for later editions, they were like, mm, we're going to say something else here. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk more next week about specifically why stepmothers show up so much in fairy tales and what the uses and reasons for that are. But short version, just for our purposes in this episode, is that the stepmothers were a thing that happened. Obviously, you had people dying in childbirth all the time and you just had blended families it was not uncommon mm -hmm. at all the problem is that women couldn't you know do anything other than get married and have kids so if their husband was the one that died they just had to rely on an inheritance and if say you're the second wife and your husband super loves his child from the first marriage that kid is going to get most of the inheritance and then you and your own kids are kind of fucked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like there, there is an actual tension there for the stepmother. It's not just, oh, she's pretty and I hate her. Like the, there was an actual fear of not being able to survive. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think that's an important thing to keep in mind, not to be like villain apologist, but there is a reason for this whole like evil stepmother thing yeah. and that's where that comes from yeah but back to the story so we're going to say we have a stepmother now we're, that's the version we're going with mm -hmm. and the new queen asks her magic mirror every day who the fairest one of all is as you well know every day answers that she is until snow white's seventh birthday so that's seven single digit number mm -hmm. she's seven years old and the mirror on that day answers for the first time that the queen is not the most beautiful. It is, in fact, Snow White. And we're going to come back to this point later in this episode as well. But like you said, fairy tales, broad strokes. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's kind of the whole thing that we're working with. Fairy tales very often use tropes to tr as shorthand. Uh -huh. um, so when we say that Snow White is the most beautiful of all. That doesn't just mean that she's the most physically attractive. Mm -hmm. She's seven years old. Yeah. <laughs> There's just not a good argument for this magic mirror saying this seven-year-old is more beautiful than you, queen. Like, yeah. that's, I don't know, that's dumb. <laughs> and that's not really what they're saying. Yeah. It's, it's specifically fairest as well. So, mm -hmm. like, fairest incorporates a lot more than physical beauty anyway like i can understand why hearing beautiful people aren't necessarily gonna pick up on the shorthand but when it's fairest to yeah. me that already encapsulates more than physical beauty yeah and that is intentionally what we're trying to invoke here like yeah. it's not just that snow white is pretty it's that she's kind and good and virtuous mm -hmm. that is the core of what snow white is and that's the point mm -hmm. And very often it does get just kind of 
diluted down to, oh, it's just, this whole story is just about physical beauty, and Mm -hmm. it isn't. (laughs) In fact, there are very few fairy tales, if any. You know what? There probably are, and I'm just not thinking of them right now. Mm -hmm. But by and large, when we're talking beauty in fairy tales, we never just mean physical beauty. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's very problematic to tie a moral or ethical standpoint to beauty like uh oh all of the ugly people are also terrible people that's not great nope but you kind of have to understand why the story is doing what it's doing Mm -hmm. i was just thinking about all of those grim dark versions of fairy tales like like when the the princesses are grown up they always do some kind of weird plastic surgery cosmetic bullshit with snow white and it's like like you're (laughs) mixing up snow white and the queen like snow white is not the person obsessed with her own beauty. Mm-hmm. That's the queen. Also, those grim dark things. I know, just, they're just... They're just so... Every part of them is so bad, and it's just very much like you don't understand what you're trying to lampoon. No. The thing about satire is it only works if you understand mm-hmm. the thing you're trying to satirize. And if you don't, then well, you're just wasting my time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Where were we? <laughs> Right, so to deal with Snow White, the queen orders the huntsman to... There's no, like, specify, like, it it reads like it's happening straight away, but it doesn't necessarily... No, you could take a break here and maybe sing a medley of songs to a wishing well. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's like she might not be seven at the time when the queen is like, no, I've had enough. Yeah, fair enough. Like she could have, she could be older. Yeah, like the thing is, it's so weird that this story actually specifies that she's seven because Mm -hmm. usually they don't specify ages at all. Yeah, because I mean, there's something the queen was immediately like upset to hear this, but it kind of boils over. So it is an unspecified amount of time that's passed between the mirror first saying that Snow White is fairer mm-hmm. and her getting the huntsman to take her out to the woods. Yeah, it absolutely could be any amount of time. Mm-hmm. Because this story came out of the oral tradition, you weren't really taking breaks for pacing. <laughs> you yeah. just kind of like... And the next big thing that happens is the huntsman. So exactly. we're switching to that. Like That's kind of my point when yeah. people are like, oh, she's seven in the original and like the prince is like a pedophile. And so it's <laughs> like, oh, grow up. I mean, we'll get there. The <sighs> yeah. prince is a weirdo. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not disputing that the prince is a fucking weirdo. But people who try and find anything to make it more edgy and dark and criticize... Yeah. These stories. Like, there are legitimate things to criticize, but we don't really need to <laughs> take them to task over ages. That's not that's not really a salient point here. Mm-hmm. My point is, like, the story isn't going to say, and then several years passed, and she continued to grow in beauty, and the yeah. queen grew in jealousy. Like, you don't I think there, are, Yeah, I think there are versions that will say that, yeah. like, straight out, but you don't need to. No. You're supposed to just kind of know it. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to fill in the dots. And a lot of a lot of fairy tales will just kind of expect you to keep up with them mm-hmm. instead of sitting there explaining everything to you. There's a time jump here. We're not going to mention it. You just kind of have to roll with it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then maybe you'll just be pissy about this on the internet. But <laughs> but that's not something we could have foreseen, really. <laughs> anyway, at some point, 
The queen orders the huntsman to take Snow White into the woods and kill her, bringing back the lungs and liver as proof. Different versions will change out the organs. Probably a fun thing to look at Mm -hmm. research-wise, like which cultures take which organs. I think Mm -hmm. that would be interesting. I'm not going to do it right now, (laughs) but I just think it's interesting. Anyway, so he couldn't bear to kill her, of Mm -hmm. course, because she is so kind and good and virtuous and beautiful. And instead, he brings back the lungs and liver of a boar, which the queen eats, because why not? So She's absorbing her power. <laughs> that never works for people, does it? Some adaptations <laughs> will, will change that, I guess. Mm-hmm. So Snow White runs away into the forest, and conveniently, no, no wild animals harm her or anything because she's just that good, and they can sense how good she is, and they just stay away. Real convenient. And eventually she comes across a little house in the woods. I love the description of this house like she walks in and on the table are seven little plates and apparently there's already food on these plates like there's just food sitting there on these plates even though it's ostensibly the middle of the day and the doors are out working or Mm -hmm. whatever they do in this story (laughs) i'm not really clear i don't think they even mention a mine in this story here are some dwarves and they live in the woods and sometimes they go away anyway there's there's food just sitting on the plates Mm -hmm. and that's what I'm, she just walks in and there's food. And so she decides that the best way to deal with this is to eat a little bit off of each plate instead of just like eating food off of one plate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this story has some really bizarre thoughts on what's fair. It's like, well, it wouldn't be fair to eat one whole dinner. So I'm just going to eat a little bit of everyone's. Utilitarianism. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. John Stuart Mill coming for my jugular. <laughs> but I mean, like, I get where she's coming from. It's like not depriving one person of their full dinner. It's taking a little piece of each plate. Everyone still gets most of a dinner and she gets a meal. I guess. It just... <laughs> if I walked in and somebody had eaten just like one bite off of each of these plates, I would have been like, what psychopathic behavior? <laughs> Who came into our house while we were gone and just ate one bite off of each of our plates? What the fuck? I would leave. Like, if <laughs> if I walked into our flat and there was food on the table and you weren't here and somebody had just eaten, like, one bite off of each of the plates, I would leave. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here, but I've seen enough horror movies that I don't want to be part of this. And I'm going to turn around and I'm going to leave. But if it was just two plates, she'd have had half of each. I don't, I don't think there's a good way to eat food off of other people's plates, I guess, when you're walking into a stranger's house. <laughs> I, don't think there's, I don't think there's a solution that we would all be happy with. So then she goes upstairs and tries all of the beds, mm-hmm. all of the seven beds. And there's one that's the right size for her. So there's like a particularly tall dwarf, I guess. And then the rest of them. Oh, are... he just likes more space. Yeah. And you know what? Good for him. I like the detail in this they're very tidy it's a very clean house everything's yeah neat whereas in the disney version like it's a pigsty yeah i i hate that change yeah like i know we got the nice little musical number out of it and this i actually quite like that song but uh, i don't i don't like it yeah (laughs) that's the thing like people are always criticizing like the disney ones or specifically snow white with like, oh, it's sexist because... Well, it's not even about the Disney one because they say this criticizing the Disney one, but they think it's the 
fairy tale itself. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Snow White is sexist because this woman is cleaning up after all these men. But like in the Grimm's version, they clean up after themselves. They just skipping ahead a bit, bring her on to do the housework yeah. as well. But the house wasn't covered in cobwebs and piles of dirty dishes. It but... was actually quite nice. Yeah. Which is why she's staying there. If you were running for your life, you had nowhere else to go, and you come across this house in the woods, and it's real dirty, but it's a house, you'd probably stay there. Then again, if you walk in and it's really dirty and there's food on the table... <laughs> You're not gonna maybe eat it. maybe you turn around and leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe it's like hmm, I don't know what's happening here, but I don't want to be part of it. I've seen horror movies. In this one though, she goes to sleep in one of the beds upstairs, and then the dwarves return and find like two bites taken from each of their plates, and they're like, "This is psychopathic behavior." <laughs> no, I mean, given their solution to the bed problem, I don't think they think it's that weird. I think that's, that's probably true. just like, "Huh, somebody's eating some of our food." Yeah, that's true. Everyone's real chill about this, and I just don't think that I would be. But yeah, so then they go upstairs and they find her in one of the beds, and they're like, oh, she's so beautiful and kind and good and virtuous, obviously, so we'll just let her sleep. And their solution to being one bed down, I lose my mind over it. I don't under. It's so bonkers. (laughs) (laughs) You don't behave this way. (laughs) So six of them are going to sleep in their own beds, and then the seventh one, in whose bed... Snow White is sleeping, is just gonna take it in shifts to sleep one hour with each of the other dwarves, mm-hmm. which is bonkers. It's bonkers. No one's going to get any rest except Snow White, I guess. You're getting up every hour to change beds? My guy, just pick a bed and sleep in it, and the two of you will just make it through this one weird night. Utilitarianism. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of just one or two of them having a disturbed night's rest, they all get a disturbed night's rest. That's bonkers! Our suffering. (laughs) No! (laughs) It's bonkers and I hate it. (laughs) Could each spend an hour on the floor? Again, you don't have to get everyone up every hour. I guess. Then you're not getting up every hour, you're just getting up for one hour. And sleeping on the floor. Have you ever been at a sleepover where, like, there's not quite enough beds and you just kind of find a place and sleep there? Do the dwarves have a couch? Do they have, like, some blankets that they can put on the floor and make, like, a little blanket nest? There's got to be some solution that does not require getting up every hour on the hour to switch beds. This is just not a realistic (laughs) solution. I know we were just saying like, oh, people are always so weird about realism and fairy tales. And so I should let this go. I understand by my own standards, I am making too much of this, but it drives me insane. (laughs) Why do they do this? Because they're utilitarians. (laughs) Everyone in this story is utilitarian, (sighs) except the queen probably. (laughs) This is my villain origin story. This is how I become the evil queen. <laughs> so the next morning when the dwarves are ostensibly uh, not very well rested, but Snow White's doing just fine. They come to an agreement where like they're going to let her stay there so she's safe from her evil stepmother. And she will just kind of keep house for them. And it's a nice arrangement. So while they're all away, one day, the queen, meanwhile, has discovered via the magic mirror that Snow White still lives. And she shows up, because the mirror helpfully says, like, 
Snow White, who is living with the dwarves in the woods, is fairer still than uh-huh. you. It's like, oh, dang, directions. Nice. It's a good mirror. Yeah. It's, um, what's it called? Google Glass? Yeah. Yeah. Like, frankly, she is not making the best use of this magical mirror she has. Truly. Lady, let it go. You could be asking this mirror any fucking thing. But this is what you like. It it knows all. It can pinpoint the location of a person. To be fair, this would go back to where like beauty is the only thing. Yeah, I know. It's the only currency she has, so it makes sense that that's what she's <laughs> fixated on. But we'll we'll talk about that with Ravenna in yeah. a bit. I guess she could. So while the dwarves are away and Snow White is at, at home uh, sweeping and singing to birds ostensibly. Queen shows up in disguise. She has disguised herself as a traveling saleswoman. Mm-hmm. And today what she has for Snow White are stays. It was not a corset at the time. And I don't know. If a traveling saleswoman comes to my door selling stays, I'm probably not going to invite her in and tell her to lace me into them. That seems weird. But you know what? Snow White is just trading in weird, I guess. So she she's, in- she's not the brightest. No. She's not the brightest button on the cardigan. Anyway, what happens is that the queen laces her into the stays so tightly that Snow White stops breathing. And so when she like falls unconscious on the floor, queen is like, job well done and leaves. And then the dwarves come home later and find her not breathing on the floor. And they just take her out of the stays. That's a weird thing that happened. Anyway, next time some disguised traveling saleswoman comes to the door, don't let her in. It's probably your stepmother trying to kill you. Like, even before this happened, though, they were like, the queen is wicked and evil and has ways and means. Did they say it before the first day? I'm sure they do. They're Mm. like, yes, oh, she'll be looking for you. So just be really careful and, Mm -hmm. and don't let people in. And she lets, not only let someone in, but let them lace her into stays. <laughs> it just seems like a weird thing to allow a stranger to do. Maybe that's just my own hang up. I don't know. I don't live in a society where traveling saleswomen sell stays. So maybe this was a normal thing. <laughs> I just don't think that it was, though. Yeah. <laughs> so dwarves come home and save her and are like, okay, don't let anyone in again. She's like, no problem. I got this. Next day, mysterious disguised traveling saleswoman comes, and this time she's got combs. Combs are fine. That's totally normal. Snow White invites her in again. And because we're we're testing the merchandise pretty consistently. So she can't lace me into a comb. It's yeah, fine. it's fine. So <laughs> the queen just like sticks the poisoned comb into her hair and she just drops down unconscious. Mm-hmm. And queen's like, all right, job well done. And then leaves. And then the dwarves come home and they're like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Luckily, all you got to do to defeat this poisoned comb is simply take it out of her hair. And you then know she's how fine. poison works? Yeah. It's only when it's in direct contact with the skin that yeah. it's lethal. Yeah. It doesn't go into your bloodstream or anything. No. Not not through your hair. Not through your hair. <laughs> no. Yeah, so they take the comb out and they're like, listen, Snow White, what the fuck? <laughs> you gotta stop doing this. She's like, okay, for real this time, I will not let anyone in. It'll be fine. And do you know what? She doesn't let anyone in. Do they not say that don't take anything off anyone as well? Probably. But they do specifically say, don't let anyone oh, yeah. in. And she does do that. Yeah. She's like, like the third day when the queen comes back, this time, obviously selling apples. Mm-hmm. Snow White is like, listen, I can't let you in. 
I've learned my lesson twice now, and it's finally stuck. So I can't let you in. And the queen is like, well, you can take this apple through the open window. And Snow White is like, you're right. I haven't been specifically forbidden to do that. So... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I think she is like, they did tell me not to take anything off anybody. Yeah, because but... she's like arguing about taking the apple. Like, she's not going to take it. But... The queen has very usefully poisoned this apple in a very specific way so that only half the apple is poisoned. There's a white half and a red half. Mm -hmm. And so the queen's like, tell you what, I will split this apple with you so you'll see that Mm -hmm. it's completely fine. I will eat this white half and you should eat this red half. And so the queen eats the white half that doesn't have any poison in it and it's completely fine. Snow White's like, okay, everything makes sense now. This is going to be completely fine. She takes a bite of the apple and drops down on the floor, mm-hmm. unconscious. So. <laughs> wisdom is head dump stat. Yeah. Aren't, aren't druids wisdom casters? Is yeah. That, oh. Hmm. I mean, it. I think it's very funny to make a character for D&D that it's like based on one stat. And then you make that your dump stat. That's very funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I do like her as a druid. Just means she's not. I mean, she has to be a druid. Yeah. If, if you try to convince me that Snow White is another D&D class. I'm sorry, you're wrong. She's a druid. But yeah. but wisdom is her dump stat, so like yeah. she doesn't get a great spell attack bonus or yeah. very, very high DC. That makes sense though, because like she's not very aggressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like her, her attack is nothing. Yeah. But, you know, charisma out the wazoo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very charismatic druid. Yeah. Yes. So the dwarves come back and this time they can't revive her they cannot figure out how to because they can't see anything to remove yeah they can't figure out what's wrong with her yeah they like check her over and like none of her clothes are too tight there's no Mm -hmm. combs in her hair or any objects on her that weren't there beforehand i'm assuming like the rest of the apple dropped outside or something because like who knows they don't be like huh well there is a half-eaten apple half on the floor. I mean, they're, they're not... <laughs> this is not CSI Black Forest. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, there's, no, there's no evidence. No. It's, it's magic. It's it not, disappeared. It's not it's Sherlock fine. Gnomes. No. <laughs> That's worse. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But yeah, so the, the dwarves can't bear the thought of burying her. So instead they put her in a glass coffin, take her to the top of a mountain. And people hear about this beautiful princess in the glass coffin on top of the mountain and they come visit her. One of the visitors is this weird ass prince who shows up with the intent of purchasing her from the dwarves. He says, she's so beautiful I can't bear to have her out of my sight. So I'm going to buy her and take her away with me. And the dwarves say, There is no money that you could give us. She is priceless. Mm -hmm. And the prince is like, completely fair. In that case, you should give her to me as a gift. I want to try this bargaining tactic, though. Like, like, I can't afford that, but it's priceless. So you should just give it to me as a gift. Persuasion roll. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And what what stats a persuasion roll? Because this guy's got... Is that charisma? Man, there there is such a charismatic match. (laughs) I love this for them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he makes this persuasion roll against all odds. <laughs> the dwarves are like, yeah, that makes total sense. Here you go. So the prince has his servants pick up the coffin and they're uh, on their way down the mountain carrying it. One of the servants stumbles. Mm-hmm. And when he stumbles, the piece of apple dislodges from Snow White's throat. 
and she comes back to life. That's what the dwarfs didn't try. They didn't try back slaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't try the Heimlich. Mm-hmm. It wasn't invented yet. <laughs> oh, if, one, only, if, if only one of the dwarves was Heimlich. If only one of them had invented a maneuver. <laughs> so, of course, yeah. Snow White and her prince are going to live happily ever after. They get married. But... Just because we can't have anyone go unpunished Mm -hmm. uh, in this story. (laughs) They invite the queen to the wedding, and then they have her dance to her death in heated iron shoes. Mm -hmm. The end! (laughs) (laughs) So, like we said at the top, this is one of the oldest fairy tales. Genuinely, every culture on Earth has a Snow White story. There are versions of it all over Africa, I'm pretty sure there are Australian ones as well. There are some in the, like, in Polynesia, Mm. which is very strange because usually Polynesia is an outlier. You don't get the same kinds of stories there, but you do for Snow White. Like, there is a Snow White. Yeah, it is really, really widely spread and really, really old. And it's so weird that Snow White is the one that sticks. Yeah. Like, that's the one that is famous enough that it's the one that the ATU index number is named for. Mm. But, you know, that's the power of the fucking Grimm's, I guess. I love the Grimm's. I do genuinely really like the Grimm's. It just annoys me so much that it's all of the male fairy tale collectors yeah. that are the famous and well-known ones. Mm-hmm. You should know who Madame Dolnoy is, but her name recognition these days is nothing next to Charles Perrault, my mortal enemy, mm-hmm. and the Grimm's. It just bothers me. Which is fair. Yeah, so another reason, like... Stories like the folkloric fairy tales that come out of oral tradition from well, well beyond where we could ever prove they started. Mm-hmm. These stories become widely spread partially because they just speak to parts of the human experience that transcend cultural divides. Part of it is that they um, travel through word of mouth. And part of it, the reason we have so many Snow Whites is that almost none of them are just Snow White. (laughs) This one gets to be one of the most widely spread on a technicality, which I think is funny, but you may not. I have a weird sense of humor. (laughs) But yeah, like there's an Italian version, and I love Italian versions of fairy tales. They're always so much fun. Um, But uh, there's an Italian Snow White that is half Snow White and half Alibaba and the 40 Thieves, which is just the most bizarre combination, and I love it so much. Alibaba and the 40 Thieves obviously is a story from the translated 1001 Nights, or the Arabian Nights, whatever you want to call it. None of those are correct names, but that's what we know it by. And there's a story in that collection, which... I want to see Alibaba and the Seven Dwarves. Yeah, that would be fun. To switch. Mm-hmm. Switch your guys. Yeah. The story, the Italian one that I'm referencing, is called Bella Venezia. And it's named for the queen, actually. I mean, not the queen. She's not a queen in that one. I think she, like, owns a pub or something. <laughs> but, like, the, the character yeah. of the evil stepmother mm-hmm. is Bella Venezia. It's great. I love the Italian ones. We're going to talk more about Italian fairy tales because they're just so much fun. Mm-hmm. I love them a lot. Um, and, yeah, the obviously there's a lot of crossover with Snow White and Sleeping Beauty. There's a lot of stories that kind of get categorized as both. Mm -hmm. And then another one that Snow White often gets crossed with, especially in Scandinavia, like all of the Scandinavian versions, all the countries classed under Scandinavia just kind of have the same story. 
<laughs> with very, very minor differences. But Scandinavian Snow Whites tend to be crossed with uh, ATU 533, which is called the Repressed Bride. Uh, if you know a story in that categorization, it's probably the Goose Girl, which I believe is another Grimm's. But there's also like English versions of it as well that are just the exact same story. There's an Armenian variant, which I remember studying in school, which I really enjoyed. It's, I may be mispronouncing this. Uh, this is the way that the internet told me to pronounce it. And also that my professor pronounced it at school. Nori Hadig. It's kind of a repressed bride, Snow White situation. The story is pretty much the same uh, as the Grimm Snow White until Nori Hadig is abandoned in the woods. And she finds this house full of treasure and a sleeping prince inside. So there, there are no like dwarves in this one. Um, and like she walks in and the door closes behind her and this voice comes to her and says, you should take care of this prince for seven years. And she's like, okay. Cause when, <laughs> because when you're running for your life in the woods and you encounter a strange house that traps you inside and tells you to do something, you might as well. Yeah. So she does that for quite some time. I want to say it's like after four years, a group comes by. I might be pulling that number out of nothing. But anyway, at some point, a group of Romani people come by uh, and she buys a servant girl from them, which is not great. I'm uh, just going to throw out there aware that that's not great. But anyway, so then Nori Hadig has an assistant to help her tend to the sleeping prince. I'm not sure what exactly that entails i don't know what exactly she's doing for the seven years i guess positional changes and continence care thank you i just realized (laughs) you're the person to ask for that (laughs) to stop pressure damage because he's lying in one position all the time so right Mm -hmm. you'd be very good at this (laughs) (laughs) well his water low score is probably quite low so he's not high risk we can just do four hourly positional changes it's fine okay well, I guess once Nori Hadig has her assistant, she can have like a day shift and a night shift. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so at the end of the seven years, um, it turns out that Nori Hadig was not on shift. Oh, it was actually her assistant that was on shift. And the prince wakes up and he assumes that the servant girl was tending to him alone this whole time. And he says, good morning. I'd like to marry you. And she's like, <laughs> cool beans. <laughs> And then also Nori Hadig is there and he's like already promised to marry the other one. So he's like, hey, can I get you anything? (laughs) And she's like, sure. Would you grab me a stone of patience? I can't remember if it's stone of patience or stone of sorrow. I think it's stone of patience to which she tells her sorrows because apparently she was really counting on being the one who was going to be marrying this prince. And like, I guess... She was there the whole time. This just reminded me of that episode of Friends where Monica woo-woos a guy <laughs> and he stops and then gets hit by a car. <laughs> and then Monica and Phoebe like feel guilty and are going and tending to him in the hospital. And then they end up like fighting over like who's going to date this guy when he wakes up. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he wakes up, he's like, okay, thank you. Like, what, that's it? <laughs> yes, because that's normal. He yeah. doesn't know who the fuck you are. Yeah, see, if you read Nori Hadig and you have expectations <laughs> that are not normal, that's on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sort of <laughs> reminded me of, like, the servant girl and uh, Nori Hadig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Monica and Phoebe. Yeah. 
we're working with an internal logic in this world <laughs> that's just beyond uh, <laughs> the internal logic of the world that Monica and Phoebe inhabit. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> He gets her this magic stone and she like whispers her sorrow to the stone and then the stone like swells up. The more like she talks to it, it swells up with her sorrow inside it because that's how magic stones work, as everyone knows. It's porous. Yeah. It's a porous rock. Mm-hmm. When she asked for the stone, the prince was like, that's weird, but okay, I'll get it for you. And then like once he gave it to her, he told his servant. I don't know where his servant came from, incidentally. He just shows up for this scene to be useful, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he tells his servant to watch her with the stone and see what she does with it. Because uh, he just gave her a magic stone. I guess he wants to see what happens. So the servant sees that the stone is getting really big. And he's like, oh, it's about to burst. And that's probably bad. So <laughs> he tells the prince and the prince rushes in. He's like, just kidding. I will not marry the other girl. I will marry you, Nori Hadding. And she's like, cool beans. And then the stone shrinks down and everything's fine. <laughs> Except it is not fine because dun, dun, dun. Meanwhile, the queen found out that Nori Hadding was still alive and she manages to run into the servant girl. So she's just like moping around in the woods because she doesn't have a magic rock to tell her problems to. And the queen finds her and they have a conversation about the things that are upsetting them and they realize that Nori Hadig is the reason they're both upset. So the queen is like, here, take this poisoned ring and put it on Nori Hadig's finger and then she will die and will be happy. And so the servant girl manages to get the ring on her finger and she drops down dead and everyone's very sad about it. They never mention the marriage, but they do at this point start referring to the prince as her husband. Time skips. So he's like hired every doctor in the land to try to um, save her and none of them can figure it out. Until this one doctor who was trying to steal the ring off her finger. (laughs) He's trying to sleight of hand it away and then he realizes as he takes it off of her that she's starting to wake up. So he's like, oh, I can probably milk this for more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he goes to the prince. I figured out how to save her, but it's going to cost you like six times as much. And he's like, oh, anything, anything to save my beautiful wife. The doctor's like, score. So he he just takes the ring off her finger after, I'm assuming, some lengthy theatrics and brings her back to life. Gets his payday. Good for him, you know? Well done on that deception roll. And that happily ever after. I think that this is one of those where the queen just gets so angry she dies. They don't say anything about the servant girl, I don't believe. Maybe she ran off with the prince's uh, servant guy who... Maybe she ran off with the doctor. I hope so. Girl, get it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's probably my favorite variant other than the Italian one. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of fun. I do want to address really quickly. (laughs) Because someone will come into the comments... And try to talk to me about this again. And I just, I can't do it. Not again. I'm not strong enough. So I'm going to talk about it now. And then we never have to talk about it ever again. I'm putting this entire issue to rest for the whole world. And then no one ever has to talk about it ever again. So every two or three years, some BuzzFeed article researcher finds this story about the real life Snow White. And some well-meaning... And beloved friend of mine sends it to me like, oh my god, did you see this? Do you know about this? I do know about it. Friends, we're going to talk about it. Anytime anyone tells you that they've got the real life story of a fairy tale, please remember that these fairy tales existed a very long time before whatever real life thing 
is being posited as the inspiration for the fairy tale. I understand, like, these stories come from the human experience, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, there are absolutely going to be crossovers in real life and fairy tales. But we are so desperate to, like, find concrete evidence of these historical crossovers with fairy tales. And we just invent things that aren't true. Mm-hmm. And the conviction with which these completely false narratives are presented, it's, it's listicle people preying on you for the clickbait. Just... Yeah. Beware of fairy tale clickbait, my friends. It's no good. There are a couple of these hoaxes that go around. It started in 1994, and I think that's very recent. Some of you may disagree. (laughs) But 1994 is relatively recent. There's probably a reason that no one was talking about these things before 1994. This guy, I'm going to say researcher in little air quotes. This researcher said he dug up some accounts in some very small German village... He said they were city documents that told the story of this famed beauty. I'm like, official official documents that said this girl was so pretty. Define city documents for me. Yeah, he didn't. That's the thing. Also, I should just put this out there. These documents don't exist. Mm -hmm. Like, he, he can't produce them. And also no one was ever able to find them. Uh, They just, they don't exist. So anyway, he's like, I found these city documents that claim that Margareta von Waldeck was the most beautiful girl in this village. And she's the inspiration for Snow White. Couple things. Number one, as I just mentioned, these documents do not exist. Number two. It is true that there was a young lady named Margareta von Waldeck. She was a famed beauty, and at the age of six, her, well, her mother died several years before that, and then her father remarried when she was six, and so she had a stepmother. Also, her father was very rich. He had some mines. Uh, d- d- dwarves. That's pretty much what researchers said, too. Just mm-hmm. like, uh, mines. Uh, dwarves. Mm-hmm. Next point. As a young woman, Margareta was sent to court. Which court? We don't know. Just Is that not in the city documents? It's not in the city documents. How strange. <laughs> you would think the magistrate's court would have a documents. You would think that the documents would document this. Mm-hmm. And yet and yet they do not. So she she went off to court <laughs> where <laughs> where her health rapidly and steadily declined. If this was a real thing that happened, I would posit myself that potentially moving her to a different climate affected her health but i can't prove anything against these documents that don't exist so that's just my speculation and she died at the age of 21 rumors abounded this may or may not be in the city documents i just don't know but rumors abounded that she was poisoned even though she had been writing to her father the whole time and said she was sick the whole time and was just getting worse, and then she died. Yeah, so they were like, oh, her stepmother poisoned her, which would have been really uh, impressive, considering that her stepmother died eight years before she did. Ghost. Ghost poison. Ghost poison! Oh, that's a great band name. Poison ghost is just a Pokemon type. It is. That's true. (laughs) Anyway, she was killed by a ghastly. <laughs> she was killed by a ghastly. But yeah, every time this story comes back up, people are like, "Oh, it's the real life Snow White," and it's not. Even if this person existed, and she may have existed, I'm not fully clear on that. Mm-hmm. It's just like there, there are bits of the story that line up. I get that, and like I love that. I love that there are 
bits of reality and fairy tales that coincide because mm -hmm. that's why these stories exist because they continue to speak to the actual real life human experience and that's cool and i love it we don't need to invent these narratives <laughs> we i wouldn't be so annoyed if it wasn't marketed the way that it is. Yeah. And I know that's just a product of the internet the way that it is these days that like, you gotta have the clickbait title, like the real life inspiration for Snow White. It didn't inspire Snow White. Yeah. Snow White existed for a very long time before they're even saying Margareta von Waldeck existed. And also this story didn't even happen. And I, I so cherish that people see fairy tale things and send them to me. I love that impulse. Please never change my beloved friends. But don't fall for clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> I just hate that the internet is lying to you. Yeah, so now we don't have to talk about the real-life Snow White anymore because there wasn't a real-life Snow White. The end. <laughs> Spirit conjuring! Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, we got to do something with apples. Yes. So my first thought, actually, I used to make these a lot before I became completely unable to deal with sweet drinks because mm -hmm. it's really sweet. Here's what it is. A butterscotch schnapps. Stay with me. <laughs> butterscotch schnapps and apple liqueur and like a little bit of lemon juice. You put like caramel in the glass as well. So you get like a little, it's a little caramel apple. Mm -hmm. It's nice. Okay. But again, that's like super, super sweet. And so I really liked that when I was very young and should not have been drinking them, but I was. Um, <laughs> But now I don't like sweet drinks at all. And just the thought of that drink is like, mm, no, thank you. I was thinking like apple sours. Yeah. For the kick. Yeah, I like the, the kick. That's the poison. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to do something that'll float on top of the other one to color layer it. I would like color layer it. Actually, the apple liqueur that I used for the caramel apple teenies mm -hmm. was, oh, I don't know how to pronounce it. it. It's like this bright green. It might actually be like the same thing as that. Mm -hmm apple sours thing but it's like really heavy and if you put just like some soda on top of it it should like whatever you put on top will probably float what about like i mean it is basically just an apple teeny but what if you do like apple schnapps and vodka or gin and dry vermouth that sounds like something i would actually potentially drink mm -hmm. i would try that you can get apple flavored vodkas yeah you can get apple flavored gin, probably. I'm gonna look that up. I hope so, because I would prefer a gin martini myself. Oh, I love gin.com. This is promising. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, there's a sage and apple gin. I feel like that has potential. Do you know what would be fun is apple gin and ginger beer? Hmm. Yeah, that could work. I think I think that's what I want to go with. I think apple gin and ginger beer. And it feels right for Snow White. In a way I can't articulate. <laughs> I, th I think that's my call. Okay. What are we calling it? We could call it the Margareta von Faltek. <laughs> I'm kidding. The We're city not documents. <laughs> the city documents. <laughs> uh, is there a cocktail that's just called Snow White? Because I think we can corner the market on this one. Yeah. God damn it. Pineapple juice. No. Get out of here. Um, I've decided that all of the cocktails that already go by Snow White suck. So we're stealing it. Shall we talk about something else now? <laughs> there are obviously many Snow White adaptations out there. We have watched several of them. And I think even before we got to like actually doing this 
episode when we were planning this season, I was like, I want to talk about Snow White and the Huntsman because it rocks, Mm -hmm. and everyone says it doesn't, and everyone's fucking wrong. So we're going to talk about that now while we're talking about Snow White, because it's not only like a very interesting adaptation of the story, Mm -hmm. which is not common in Snow White adaptations. I'm here to tell you there are a lot of really boring takes on this story out there. But Snow White and the Huntsman actually managed to be interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also a good movie. And also Kristen Stewart hot. Yeah. So it's got everything. (sighs) What more do you need? What's wrong with Letterboxd? I was losing every little bit of patience I had when this movie was coming out. Some friend of friends who were being like, in what world is Kristen Stewart hotter than Charlize Theron? I'm like, okay, first of all, you two are gay. So, <laughs> like, your opinions on which women are hotter does, does not matter. On that valid. Like, I respect your input, but, you know. But I don't respect it because you're wrong. Yeah. But also, <laughs> um, for me personally, Kristen Stewart is hotter than Charlize Theron. Uh-huh. And third of all, way to miss the fucking point. It yeah. is not about who is hotter. Yeah. And I mean, really, that's the first of all. But yeah. I'm saving it for last. <laughs> <laughs> but genuinely, like, it just goes back to how people misunderstand the story. Yeah. Because there's some cultural idea mm-hmm. that it's just about physical beauty. And that's not true in the actual story as written down by the Grimm's. Mm-hmm. And it's not true of fairy tales in general because we've discussed how beauty is not just physical beauty. It's also not true in this movie. Mm-hmm. And Isn't the, like... There's a, I'm sure there's a line in the in the Grimm's version that like makes a point of saying like she she says her prayers before she goes to sleep. Yeah, that was part of um, later edits. Like they just got progressively more Christian. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, because they were like incorporating Christianity into the mm-hmm. German cultural mythos. Yeah, but um, like they do that in this as well. Like, when yeah. you first see her as as an adult, like she's she's praying in front of the fireplace. Yeah. The first thing you see is her making a fire from embers which is important because it's mm-hmm. thematic that she is able to take a little spark and make it grow into a fire yeah symbolism 101 yeah um and and then you see her praying mm-hmm. and i love that it's not subtle at yeah. all what they're doing i mean i guess it is because people missed it <laughs> but but like i love over the top really in your face symbolism like that mm-hmm. because that's that's what fairy tales do mm-hmm. and for a fairy tale adaptation in a new medium of film to take that and translate it that way makes me really happy. That's it feels good, feels organic. Mm-hmm. I love it. And yeah, like so much of this movie, I just I love how over the top it is. Apparently, it wasn't over the top enough because people didn't get it. But there's also I I like the thing where you see her as a child and like she saves the magpie with the hair wing and like mm-hmm. mends it back to health. And then when she's an adult, the magpie has come to the window. Mm-hmm. And, like, the magpie at the window is how she finds the nail that she uses to escape. Yeah. And then they, like, guide her through the city. Like, they where they fly shows of the storm grate she goes through. And then they, like, guide her. Mm-hmm. And then um, when they're in Sanctuary later, you see that the magpies have got fairies. Like, mm-hmm. either they are fairies or the fairies are piloting them, <laughs> I guess. But, like, it's, it's oh very much... Oh, my God, much- <laughs> The magpies are like Jaegers. Yeah. <laughs> but it's that whole f- thing that was in, in Bell Bell, like mm-hmm. the, you help a creature not knowing that it's a fairy. You help something that, that is in distress. You ha- you show compassion and you are rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I, I like that. And it's also, it's, it is kind of ham-fisted in the Grimm's version where they're like, and the wild animals don't attack her because she's just got some affinity with them and then that's all we're going to say about that. Mm-hmm. In Snow White and the Huntsman, you actually have a good way to flesh that out and yeah. make it less overt. But also, it, I mean, it is also very overt, yeah. I guess, because she's connected with nature the whole way through the film. Mm-hmm. You see her connected with animals and with nature as a whole. Mm-hmm. And that association is actually really important for her as a character and for the world that she inhabits. It is very important that she is part of this environment. Yeah, and they contrast that with Ravenna because mm-hmm. like, the kingdom or the plant life and stuff starts to decay. and yeah. Yeah. Which I, I also love <laughs> as a mm-hmm. just a symbolic thing. Like uh, the Lion King when Scar takes over and yeah. the whole land dies. We laugh at that. But that's, I mean, that's a story thing. Yeah. It's it's a very quick way to, and fairy tales trade in mm-hmm. quick ways to get the point across. Mm-hmm. And it's a very quick way to say this ruler is bad. To say like the, the land died yeah. <laughs> when they took over. It's very quick and evocative, mm-hmm. and it tells you everything you need to know very, very fast, which is great. Yeah. I was going to say, there's even a moment when one of the dwarves says, I think it's, is it the Bob Hoskins dwarf? Yeah. Says that Snow White is life itself. Mm-hmm. The natural world just kind of springs back to life around her, mm-hmm. and that she is representative of the small seedling that grows mm-hmm. into a great tree. To contrast with that, Ravenna is death. Yeah. And it's just really cool to make the heart of the story. Because people are always, like, talking shit about the romance aspect. And Mm -hmm. it's like, that's literally, like, a page and a half Mm -hmm. at most of the story. That's not what the story is about. To make it about Ravenna and Snow White Mm -hmm. and what they represent and the clash of those ideologies Mm -hmm. is really, really interesting. And is more in line with the actual story, as the Grimms put it down. Yeah. I was going to say as well, in terms of her being associated with nature, the the opening prologue thing, there's the, the red from the blood, but it's on a rose bush. Mm-hmm. Like the queen is walking in the snow and sees one rose that's still fighting to be in bloom. Like yeah. it's still there against the cold. And it specifically says she wishes for a, a daughter that is, has the skin like the white snow. And mm-hmm. the, but the, it says and with, with the strength... And vitality of that rose explicitly ties her to something in nature, mm-hmm. to this idea of nature enduring and surviving against the odds. So it, it's right there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that Snow White as a person in this adaptation. Obviously, there's everything she represents, but there's also the story acknowledges there's kind of a danger of because she is the daughter of the king who was murdered and her stepmother has taken over the throne when uh, Snow White is the rightful heir. There's this risk that Snow White will just, like she's not herself a great leader or she's not worthy Mm. of the respect of the people and that she's just, it's just because she's the daughter that she's put up in opposition to Ravenna. But they they consciously like look that in the eye and go, no, it's because of who she is as a person. It's because she has the inner beauty. She is kind and strong and virtuous and brave and caring and kind. Mm -hmm. And all of the things about her make her somebody that is worth following. Mm -hmm. And that is why she is beautiful because she is all of these wonderful things. 
It's not just because she's pretty. Mm-hmm. And if you don't think Kristen Stewart is pretty, you're wrong, but whatever. That's also not the point. It's very explicitly not the point. This movie goes to great lengths to tell you that's not the point. If you didn't get it, I can't help you. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Work on your media literacy and get back to me. Like the queen literally says to her when she's a kid, you have a rare beauty, my love, in here. Yeah, it wasn't subtle. I don't know how to explain to you. <laughs> <laughs> Even still watching that scene, I'm like, that's a bit on the nose. It's real explicit there. But apparently it's still getting by, people. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know. One of the criticisms I see a lot is of the acting, specifically of Kristen. And people, and people I mean, people criticize Kristen Stewart's acting without ever seeing her act in anything. Mm-hmm. Because they're just stuck on Twilight, which... She was directed to act that way. The character is written that way. The character is written to be nothing Mm -hmm. so that you can project yourself onto her. Everyone who ever acts with her in like other projects, everyone on The Runaways had nothing but praise for her. She's a great actress Mm -hmm. when she's given something to do. Mm -hmm. We're the Kristen Stewart defense squad. Mm -hmm. We're here to tell you, fuck off. Genuinely. But also, again, if you look at this character, she has been imprisoned in a tower Mm -hmm. Since she was, like, what, 10? Yeah, she's not going to be well-adjusted. No, she doesn't speak to people. She has the compassion and the will to speak to people and, like, win them over, but she's not used to doing that. Mm -hmm. She's going to be a little bit awkward. Yeah, and I love that she is a little bit awkward, like you say. You can tell that she has these natural skills Mm -hmm. that she doesn't really know how to play up. And that puts her in opposition to Ravenna, who absolutely knows what her skills are and knows how to play them up. Mm -hmm. Snow White doesn't have that. She's just got like this raw goodness about her that she doesn't really have a direction for. So it comes out a little awkward, Yeah, but it's honest and it's mm -hmm. natural and it's perfect. You can see on her face, well, people will say that you can't, but fuck off. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to stop doing caveats now. You (laughs) You know what's up. You can see on her face that she's feeling these things, but she doesn't quite know what to say. Yeah. Like, she doesn't know how to put it in words. She's feeling, like, this despair, or she's feeling this compassion and empathy, but she doesn't quite know how to win people over with words yet. And then... Mm -hmm. When she wakes up. Oh, it's so good. And rallies the crowd at the Dukes. That's when she's finally sort of able to put it into words. Do the word version of the fanning the, the little ember into a flame. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. This movie's so good. Genuinely. That's like, even Even if you're criticizing the acting or, I don't know, the length of it. I, I don't know. It's, it's not even that long. But... You can't say that the cinematography doesn't fuck. That the story isn't good. Because it is. It's Snow White. It's it's There's so a reason good. It's an enduring fairy tale. Yeah. It's a good narrative. And this is a really interesting version of it. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful to look at. The special effects are great. Like Ravenna's Phantom Army. Mm-hmm. That shit fucks. It does fuck. The costumes. Oh, they fuck so hard. Oh, Colleen Atwood. Colleen Atwood knows what she's doing Mm -hmm. every time. Mm -hmm. Knocks it out of the park. Man, I just, that that dress of Ravenna's with the little bird skulls and the neckline. Holy fucking shit. Mm -hmm. That changed. Even her wedding dress has like the kind of, what do you call them? The puffy sleeve thing. Oh, yeah, those things. The puffy sleeves. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, it's what would be puffy sleeves, but it's like a cage and it's like bone. 
Yeah. Like, and it's not actually bone, but it's evocative of, of a rib cage. It's evocative of bones on her fucking wedding dress. It's ivory, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's a good segue to talk about Ravenna because mm. as much as this movie is a fantastic adaptation of the story and as much as it is an amazing look at Snow White as a fully realized human mm-hmm. character, Ravenna is the star of this. She, oh my God, this is so fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Ravenna's whole deal, like you say, it's like a little bone cage because her body itself is a cage Mm -hmm. for her this story isn't about physical beauty but ravenna herself is about physical beauty because we see you see in the flashbacks of when she met the king like she had nothing and i think we're led to believe at that point she had already done this a couple times but she came from a background where she had nothing except her beauty that was the only tool she had because you know women can't be educated and can't mm-hmm. get jobs and can't achieve anything else other than being beautiful and so when she is trapped in this world where she doesn't even have a say in her physical beauty really it's just she has it and what are you going to do with it either it's going to make you a target for attack and you're not going to live very long or you turn it around and find the only power you can in this world through it. And Ravenna is a very desperate person. You do kind of feel for her Mm -hmm. a little. I mean, I do. Maybe that says something about me. She doesn't have anything else. And if her back's against the wall, she is not going to sit down and take it. She is going to fight back Mm -hmm. with everything in her to get anything that belongs to her. And yeah, maybe she did some crimes. Maybe she did some murders. But But doesn't she just have love and jewelry? (laughs) She does. (laughs) She has been so hurt and so betrayed. And this world has nothing for her. It's not going to give her anything. And so she is going to have her vengeance on the world if it's the last fucking thing she does. Mm -hmm. And... Snow White is not going to be collateral herself in this story. And that's the thing is like leading up to this, Ravenna is used to just leaving the collateral in her wake. Mm-hmm. The line that I love at the end, well, Ravenna's end, <laughs> is I will give this wretched world the queen it deserves. Every awful thing she does is because the world deserves it. And you know what? Can't argue with that, really. This world did its best to destroy her and she wouldn't take it. She fought back and clawed just a tiny bit of it back. And I love that for her. But also that then positions Snow White against her as not the queen the world deserves, but the one it needs to heal and Mm -hmm. thrive and change. Mm -hmm. And I just love it. I love Ravenna, but I love that Snow White gets to be hope for the future in this. It fucks. It's great. I love it. This movie rocks. Mm-hmm. I just, I love Kristen's performance and delivery when Ravenna's dying. And she looks scared. Yeah. Like, Ravenna looks scared. And Snow White, you can see the sympathy in her face. You can see she feels pity for for Ravenna at that moment. When Ravenna is on the floor, backs away, uh-huh. she flinches away from her. She just looks at her with with pity and sympathy and you can't have my heart she's (laughs) almost apologizing the way she delivers that line jesus fucking christ it's so good (laughs) we're both in tears (laughs) just thinking about it 
It's so good. And Kristen Stewart is so good. And I will die on this hill. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. This movie gives evil Charlize Theron mm-hmm. and Kristen Stewart in armor bashing guys in the face with a shield. <laughs> leaping through fire. What more do you want? Truly. This movie has everything. Anyway, this has been the Kristen Stewart Defense Hour. <laughs> oh, we have been talking for a very long time and we need to stop. I didn't even think I had this much to say about Snow White. We just fully haven't discussed a lot of things that we just don't have time for. So maybe there's another Snow White episode in our future. Who knows? I don't know why I didn't think I could talk about fairy tales forever because that's just who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Welcome to our podcast where I do that. That's all from us this week. You can find us on Twitter at Ether and Icor. Email us at etherandicor at gmail.com or join the Discord server, Happy Haunt. If you'd like to support the podcast, we have bonus episodes and notes on Patreon and Ko-fi at VC Audley. Also, you can now subscribe on Anchor if you'd like to just get bonus episodes. You can also leave us a review on Podchaser and find merch on TeePublic. We'll be back in two weeks talking about Cinderella. For now, we'll lift a glass and say goodnight. Pleasant dreams. (laughs) 